The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Jason Collette joins myself and Todd Zola for the Bold Predictions cast. Hope you'll join us. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are brought to you by WinBet. Clay Link here with Todd Zola and special guests on this Friday, Jason Collette. Jason, always a pleasure to talk with you, man. Thanks for carving out some time on your Friday. Yeah, happy long weekend for those who celebrate Monday as a day off. Uh, it's just, I'm yeah, looking forward right. to it. It's been a grind the last few weeks. I haven't normally had that off, but I, I remember seeing that now. That we are uh, GDC owned. We we do have Monday off as a as a holiday. Well, really great for you to come by. We are going to be talking about your bold predictions series. Great stuff. You just wrapped that up with the NL West. Rotowire.com slash try to get 10 days on us. No credit card required. You can check out all uh, six editions of Jason's 2022 bold prediction series. Uh, do you want to preface this convo at all, Jason? Talk about what you've done over the years, maybe how your approach has changed. Well, he's going to guarantee all these to happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's why we had him on the show to offer his personal guarantee that these will all come to fruition. That's right. Yeah, just hit up Clay if none of them work. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, I think this is your eight that I've done these. It used to be that I would pick, you know, I think 10 hitters and 10 pitchers. Then I started doing a few per team, and then I decided, you know what? Uh, I think over the last four years, it's been one hitter and one pitcher uh, that I've decided to go with uh, on it. And then it allows me to kind of out, uh, kind of outline or explain why I believe a guy is going to take a step forward or take a step back compared to what the general market feeling is for him. So I, I, I try to keep it within the realm of possibility. Like, I'm not going to be out there saying Stephen Piscotty is winning the MVP, even though I took him in the 50th round of my DC. You know, it's just that's what was there in the 50th round. Uh, but I want to make things possible uh, and look at some of those opportunities. And sometimes they blow up right away due to injury or the guy doesn't make the roster. Uh, because, again, I'm doing these in December and January and sometimes, you know, bleeding into early February. But I, I sat down and put all the names, the 60 names down back in December. Uh, and this week we published the the NOS. So now all 60, all three, 30 hitters and 30 pitchers are all out there. Uh, you can use them against me. You can use it. Uh, remind me later on in the season I was an idiot uh, or come back and thank me later. Say, wow, you really put me on that guy. I had no idea you know, that guy was going to do that. But I have really feel good about coming off last year. I think last year was one of the uh, the better years that I had. 
uh, with some of the hit rates on these and uh, hopefully can repeat that this year. Absolutely. I wanted to start kind of in reverse order. So we'll start with the NL West that just went up this week. Then as we progress to our conversation today on the podcast, we'll work our way back. And I wanted to start mostly with the NLS because you kind of shook me to my core with this uh, Mookie Betts bold prediction. Um, I wasn't expecting that on Wednesday morning when I woke up, kind of took me aback. But you made a really strong argument. And this is where these can be really helpful is maybe maybe you don't hit on all these or, you know, they're bold. So you know, maybe the hit rate isn't super high, but it could maybe – open your eyes to certain things about certain players that, that you didn't know before. And that was the case with Betts. Uh, I didn't realize the the troubling trends with him and uh, just how much things have kind of, just how far back this, uh, this trend has kind of uh, has dated. I, I didn't realize. Jason. Well, and, and, yeah, I want to credit my friend Jason Hanselman uh, for for pointing me in this direction because he, he does a really good job of creating a lot of graph, uh, a lot of, uh, rolling graphs uh and he tweeted something back out as i was sitting down to work on uh, my list uh and just saying hey wow this is his exact wording was this is less than ideal for mookie bet since 2018 and he showed this rolling graph trend graph you're like wow now to be fair the problem in 2018 mookie bets was like amazing elite 100th percentile amazing you can't go anywhere but down from there uh, and that's really what it came down to. But I wanted, I dove into it just looking over the past four years um, with it. And I added my own kind of bar graph uh, that shows you know, where things are trending. So he's gone from elite, amazing 100th percentile down to still a really good ball player. I'm not out here besmirching him saying he's not good anymore. But you know, we have the stuff coming down. We have the, the hip that put him, that twice put him on the IL last year. Um, and that he didn't have surgery on uh, it, towards the end of the season. Uh, he had a second cortisone shot that helped him out on that. So he was running around. He's probably feeling really good. I've had a couple of cortisone shots and, you know, my shoulder felt amazing. And then, you know, a couple of months later, I'm having surgery on it. Uh, so who knows, but with the hip, you know, they moved him to second base. They tried a couple of different things, but every year early in, in the early rounds, you're trying to, mitigate your risk uh, because you're not going to get value in those rounds. You're, you're just hoping that you can get as much as what's projected. And we look back every year at guys are like, wow, what happened to this guy? He was a first round bust, second round bust. And uh, you know, bets, you could see it. And if we come back this time next year and look like what happened to Mookie bets, we could be having that conversation. We could also be having the, wow, how did Mookie bets fall into the, uh, into the twenties? Because his ADP has been hanging around like uh, 18, 19. And like, how has he slipped? I'll tell you, I picked 15th in a DC and never even considered taking him on the turn. That's just where I stood after doing my own research on this. Um, resisting doing my own research, not taking a shot joke. Uh, but I said it anyhow. <laughs> that's where that's where I was. I, I was, was like, no, to I'm, I'm going to let him. I'm going to let somebody else take that risk. Um, when I picked 15th, I went I went Walker Bueller, uh, Brandon Woodruff. I went pocket aces uh, out of the 15th spot, and I think Betts went a couple of picks later. I tweeted earlier this week that, you know, in this article you made a case against drafting bets, and I kind of – I didn't like the wording of it because you don't say don't take him, but you're just nowhere close because, as you say, he can still be a really good player. But getting back to that elite level he was at is, is tough for – for any player in any sport, but uh, especially with a guy who's had this hip issue, Todd, how are you feeling about Mookie? Uh, not as good as I was five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> it, it, it to me, it's all about 
I mean, the, the rolling average, he, he's had some Nicky neck injuries. It's it's that bone spur. He didn't have it removed. Right. I just don't know enough. Is it still there? And it's in a, in a non-harm or non-painful spot. Is it going to move again? I don't know enough about it. That's what concerns me because I, I had him pegged as a value player versus the ADP just because uh, I, he, he, like you say, he still is a good player. But you, you, you had me on the exit velocity, curious about, you know, I'm all about the fly ball exit velocity. And that, that has dipped uh, considerably from his heyday in 2018 is 96 and then 94. It was 92 and a half this past season. And the fly ball, the commensurate fly ball distance is falling. So that, yeah, that is a concern. Uh, performance and injury, just how much they tie together. Yeah, to be clear, the bold prediction for, for Mookie Betts from Jason Klett was Mookie is not a top 60 player. So, again, nowhere close on him this year. Doesn't mean he's going to be a bad player by any means, but uh, Jason sounds like he's hands off and makes a lot of really good points. So, again, check out his uh, NL West Bold Predictions article. On the other side of the coin, you do like a uh, pitcher to kind of to boom for this Dodgers team. Do you want to reveal who that is? Yeah, and this goes back to when uh, we were in Arizona back in October at the first pitch Arizona, and we got the sitting in the back talking with Jeff Erickson. Like, hey, you know, well, I was t- I was talking with Jeff about I had a good year overall last year. Uh, and he's like, you know, probably one of these years where like you had Robbie Ray in a bunch of places, right? I'm like, I had him in one. I had him in AL Tout. It's the only place I had him. Uh, and then we started talking about like who's the next, who's who would be this year's Robbie Ray. And I was like, well, let's talk about who Robbie Ray is. Uh, you know, he's a guy that had one good year. He's always had good. He's done other things really well, but never in the same season. And then he put it all together uh, last year. And so I went broke down Andrew Heaney. Because there's a lot of the same, the, the home runs, the splits, the times through the order, it really lined up well. And I wrote it out in full towards the end of October. So if you go into the uh, column archive, you can see that. But that's what I, I, I said that back then. I'm not running away from that now. Uh, you know, Todd, we were talking in the in the chat of our current DC about, you know, get your guys, like who, who are your, my guys. Uh, and Heaney is somebody that I've picked up in each of the reserves. Uh, of the DCs, either a DC 50 or a draft champion. I've picked up Heaney in the reserves in each one of those. So he's still going in the reserves. And if he becomes Robbie Ray this year, yay me. Uh, if he becomes Andrew Heaney again, it's a reserve pick. Who cares? Well, you're not the only, I, I think at page, I think it's chapter two of the 2022 so-called expert handbook. You have to make that comparison. Uh, maybe they picked it up off of you, Jason, but I've heard, you know, that's kind of a common narrative that Andrew Heaney is this year's Robbie Ray. So um, we'll see. Um, I, I I think Andrew Heaney has a shot to be improved, but man, well, that's why it's a bold prediction, right? To say he's better isn't, isn't really all that bold. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would say that with looking at Ray, you know, like last year, I remember get, coming out of AL labor uh, and Ian was super excited about getting Robbie Ray at $4. And, and I just remember talking with him afterwards saying, I never should have let you had him for four because I, I am a believer in Ray, but I thought that price was cheap and I, I let it go. So then at town, I, I spent $8 to get Ray on my roster. I forgot who I was bidding. Maybe I'm one of you two uh, for that. But I, I was like, okay, I, I'm not going to repeat that mistake and let him go uh, cheaply. And so I ended, I had him in, uh, in town, but that's really what made me take another look at it and say, okay, you got to remove bias. Cause I didn't like Ray at all 
uh, going into labor. But when Ian told me, hey, I'm in on him and then went back and looked, is that OK? He's got we had the two different deliveries. If you recall, that was a big deal. He came in. The, he started the season in 2020 with the uh, the shorter arm circle and then he you know, fell back into bad habits. He came to Toronto. They reworked him. He found some more velocity. So in hindsight, should have looked at some things to say, hey. Uh, so we'll see what the Dodgers uh, do with Heaney now that he's in camp, now that you know, eventually he'll be in camp. Uh, but now that they have their hands on him to see what they can do with him. Uh, but again, it's reserve pick. I'm not saying like run out there and make him your SP3. Uh, we're, I'm hoping that's where he can get to. Uh, but right now, the fact that I can still get him in the reserve rounds uh, of every DC that I've done so far is nice. One thing I really like about Heaney too, is that he's got that he's got it like uh, all of New York against him. You know, he went to the Yankees and just turned that entire <laughs> fan base against him. So you got like all of the New York gray. market. He yeah, it was sunny gray, you know? <laughs> exactly. The entire New York market's crossed him off their list. Yeah. So you can maybe get him, uh, get him cheap throughout draft season. Now, elsewhere in the NL West, Jason, uh, I like your call on Josh Rojas. Your bold prediction there was that he was a top 50, sorry, top 150 overall player. Top 50 would be real bold, but top 150 is still pretty bold. I had him uh, on my board on in my queue, actually, in this first pitch Arizona speakers draft we're doing. Took Brandon Crawford over him and had some immediate regrets, and then Ray Murphy took uh, Josh Rojas later in that round. So what in particular do you like about Rojas? Uh, I like the fact that he's going to hit high in the lineup. Uh, I mean, this time last year, there was a lot of uh, talk about him. He had a really good spring, got off to a nice start, and then uh, slowed down a little bit before a second half spike, got him back uh, in a good place. But he's supposed to hit high in that lineup, uh, and that's really where it counts because when you look at the uh, platoon splits of a David Peralta or the inexperience of a Dalton Varsho, I can't imagine either of those guys is going to take the leadoff. But Rojas right currently is projected to lead off in that. So he's going to have all the opportunities. He's got that positional flexibility, which is certainly nice uh, with him as well. But you know, the offensive potential is there. He's got the, the athleticism uh, to have a really nice year setting the table for that uh, rebuilding offense, uh, if you will. It, it's not a great offense on paper. Uh, but I, I like his his chances up at the top. And, you know, ADP-wise, he's still sitting when I wrote this. You know, he's still outside the top 220. Uh, so for a leadoff hitter, uh, if he's going to stay in that role, get all those plate appearances up there, uh, he's got a very nice chance of outperforming his projections. I mean, I have him at 180 right now, so the leap to 150 is, what, three steals or something like that, right? So Or three more steals. Very, you know, I think that's uh, – a nice guy. My Stratomatic team hopes you're right because we have him. I have him on there, but we'll see. Jason, for your pitcher uh, for Arizona, you like Corbin Martin to earn a positive dollar value. He's pretty deep down there, and we got a lot to get to. So uh, unless you have anything more to add on Corbin Martin, uh, we can. Move He's on. in my queue on our DC. I'm just telling you guys that now. He's in the queue. Okay. Uh, so, but yeah, 30, in, all serious, in all seriousness, though, remember, he was like the, the key point of the Zach Grinky trade. Uh, and he was hurt. He had Tommy John surgery three weeks before that trade. Uh, we're now two plus years. Uh, you know, he had the surgery in July of 19. So we're out of that two year window that I like to talk about where I don't want guys until they're two full years out of, out of that surgery. He's out of that window. So you look at the numbers last year and you know, he cut those strikes. Uh, gave up too many home runs, 12 home runs and in 43 innings. But go back and look at what he did prior to the injury uh, and the scouting reports. I'm willing to take another chance on him. I believe that the Diamondbacks will uh, eventually here at some point this year as well. Uh, it certainly has the opportunity on that staff. Now, on to Colorado, 
I had uh, Elias Diaz in my queue, like I had Josh Rojas in my queue. Missed out on him, but it was my own call because I, I made a choice and took uh, Alejandro Kirk over him. I was looking at the projections. I was like, man, these are really nice on Kirk, and they're only like in 89, 90 games. So I just saw a little bit more upside. But you like Elias Diaz to maybe be a top seven catcher. Oh, that one hurt too because I, I towards the end of the 17th round, I took Nathaniel Lowe mm-hmm. uh, and thinking that uh, Elias Diaz will make it back to me. I'll take him in 18-3. Nope. Uh, that's where no, I take that back. I'm sorry. I took I took Andrew Heaney at 18-13, thinking Diaz would make it back to me at 19-3. And then Ray and Brent uh took Diaz there at the end of the 18th. So I moved Danny Jansen with, with the next guy. But you know, with with Diaz, Colorado just gave him a three-year contract extension. They're invested in him. Uh you look at what he did, they were re reworking a swing. He got off to a horrendous start, was hitting like a buck twenty. And I had him in a few places last year, too. But then he gets into June and he got on got on a nice heater and was able to carry that through. You look what he did the rest of the season, really above average numbers uh, for what he was able to do. And so he should get a majority of that playing time uh, and be able and he hits to all fields. I just really like him as an offensive minded catcher. And he got better defensively last year, too. Uh, and I was rather angry when I, I was like, you know what, I likely would have been able to get Heaney at 19-3. But that's where I kind of zoned in. Uh, when I said earlier that I was taking Heaney at the reserves, I forgot that we got him here in the 15 in the 15 rounder that I took Heaney at the end of the 18th. Uh, so that's where I had the blinders on thinking I want this year's Robbie Ray. And I missed out on, on the catcher that I really wanted because I would have had Varsho and Diaz as my catcher duo. Um, and that would have been really nice. I've never had a really good catching duo in any league. And that's got the potential to be really nice in a 15 team league. And so now it's Varsho and Jansen. It's not bad though. I, I can see that, but yeah, Diaz would be a significant upgrade over uh, Danny Jansen. I liked him when he was in Pittsburgh, and now he's got the Coors Field uh, boost. So yeah, I like like that call on Diaz. And do you have a, a deep pull for maybe a surprise saves leader in Colorado? Uh, I I rarely repeat guys uh, in these predictions, but I went back to the Robert Stevenson well this year uh, on this because he showed things, and I put some stuff in the article. You know, when you look at that current bullpen situation, it's not like Carlos Estevez or Daniel Bard has a lock solid uh, lockdown on that job. You look at the skills and Stevenson's skills line up with them uh, and exceed them uh, in some areas uh, between those three. So I put a table together saying, look, here's what you're dealing with. Uh, now, we've been here before with this team. Uh, there was uh, one particular year, I'm trying to remember the reliever, uh, it was when Jake McGee was falling apart. Uh, I'm trying to remember Diaz. Uh, I forgot the guy's first name, but Diaz was the reliever and it didn't pan out. And they ended up giving the job to somebody else and it worked. Uh, but I, I remember getting Daniel Bard on the chief out of the same thing. But, you know, Colorado has never been slow to change closers if somebody's not performing. And when you look at the skills of those three, I really like Stevenson, uh, particularly at the price. I, I took him in, in the 27th round of our of our league here uh, only because I didn't do a great job of getting closers in this league. You know, I have Lou Trevino was one of my closers and the aforementioned Jake McGee. I'm hoping that uh, Kapler goes back to uh, giving saves to a bunch of places instead of settling on one particular guy. And so yeah, I, I decided I was going to spend some of my reserve picks throwing darts at some relievers to Jorge Alcala, have Kyle Finnegan. And then I also grabbed Robert Stevenson. So I've got you know three relievers I'm hoping one of those sticks uh, or maybe multiple sticks if either of those other guys failed that I have behind Will Smith. 
Nice. Todd, how are you doing, by the way? Um, I'm still working. I'm still checking out DS. No, I'm gonna let Jason talk today. I don't wanna not looking for sympathy, but I got I got a toothache, so I'm uh it's all good. Um uh, that Diaz? It's driving me nuts. I can't remember that guy's first name. Uh Jumbo. That wasn't gyro. Jumbo. That wasn't gyro. It. <laughs> gyro. Was it Gyro or Humbo? Uh, yes, that's who it was. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, that's who it was. But it's I'm, I'm as far as the uh the catcher, uh I just he doesn't hit the ball. I, I like the hit tool, I like the contact. But even in cores, he just doesn't hit the ball with enough authority to take advantage of the altitude. So seventh, ew, that's that's a little bit high for me. But um, I do think he's uh, a very solid catcher. Yeah, Elias Diaz, I'm with you there. Now, Luis Campusano down the, the list of catcher. He's a guy that I, you know, even leagues where I've needed a, another catcher, I just kind of don't pay him much mind. I just kind of scanned by his name and don't really think about it much, but you like Luis Campusano, Jason. For the price, I mean, ADP is he's still outside the top 550. Uh, and, you know, when you look at that franchise historically, they have they've uh, looked at defense first. I mean, they carried Austin Hedges as long as they possibly could. You know, they had they had a similar guy in Fra- and Francisco Mejia, but they traded him to Tampa Bay. Uh, so th- this is really what Campusano reminds me of is the is more of the Mejia model. But this club has relied upon defense for so long, and eventually they got to get some offense from the plate. Uh, and I, it's still going to be Austin Nola's job uh, to, as a primary catcher. And they've got Victor Caratini because you Darvish likes throwing to him. They've got uh, Jorge Alfaro on the roster yeah, uh, as as a two position guy, and so I, I I don't believe that Campisano is going to make the roster coming out of camp. But you know I don't care. I could look at him in the reserve rounds in a deeper league and, and get that because there's so much turnover at the catcher position. But this is a guy that has offensive abilities uh, and again improving at the plate. And so in in a deeper league, he'd be somebody I'd be looking at at the reserve. So I don't have to spend the fab on uh, if you can get him in, in a seventh round of like a. 15 team mixed league uh, you can get him in the seventh round of the reserves it's a nice it's a nice option to have or it's your first cut depending on uh you if you have any injury issues but you know you don't need to take him as a he's not going to make the team starting out but he's definitely somebody i want to put on my watch list nice that, that one's bold and then you follow up with maybe the least bold bold prediction <laughs> i mean i'm not trying to you know dog <laughs> you at all on this but uh, you darvish is a top 20 pitcher doesn't seem all that far out of the realm of possibility to me. And uh, you didn't end up with him in this first pitch Arizona speakers draft, but it sounds like you expect to end up with quite a bit of you Darvish. Yeah, I'd like to. And he was, you know, he's the 40th pitcher off the board right now, but most of the market conversation I've heard with him is, is fading him uh, because he's had the issues with the command. He's had issues with home runs uh, and like, I believe there's another good year. Like he had some outlier statistics particularly with guys on base uh maybe he shouldn't be pitching to victor caratini as his as his uh, as his uh caddy uh if not but that's so i i want to believe he has another good year into him uh i mentioned him and i've said this line a couple of times like he's one of four guys that had really good stats as far as strikeout rate batting average against uh whip it's just the era was inflated and the other guys in that mix are aaron nola uh, and uh, Tristan McKenzie and Logan Gilbert. And everybody pretty much loves those guys. 
Like if you were to put those four together, I could see some folks saying Darvish is the fourth of that group uh, because there there are a lot of people that really love McKenzie as well. But uh, those are the four guys that had great surface stats, but just a terrible ERA. And if we're going to be like, oh, Logan Gilbert's taking this big step forward this year and McKenzie's taking this big step forward this year and Aaron Nola is an ace or an SP2, how are we going to dump on you, Darvish, just because he's had a couple of years of some up and down skills after coming off his injury? Uh, so I'm giving him another chance. I am 23rd, so I, it's not much of a reach. Yeah, I like that. Nice. Well, uh, elsewhere to uh, to wrap things up in that division, the NL West, you also like a bounce back year from Evan Longoria. Then you like, well, you don't like, but you uh, you view Camilo Duvall as finishing outside the top 20 in saves. So he seems like he's kind of been falling, and I imagine people will listen to you and he'll fall even further so uh, the walks with Duvall I mean I just and and that's the thing because you look back yeah it's like he looked electric in September and he was great down I mean he won four games and saved three and saved three other games in a matter of four weeks down the season so like he was a pennant winner for some folks that you're able to pick him up late Mm -hmm. uh in that capacity but the walk historically throughout the minor leagues he has had troubles with walks um, and it, this is Gabe Kapler as well. And this time last year, it was all it was all about the never trust Kapler, never Gabe Kapler, because you, you never know what he's going to do. And, and then he went out and gave Jake McGee 31 saves. And I think McGee was 31 of 34, and, and Rogers got 13 saves. And, and historically, Kapler, the only year he gave saves to one guy primarily was 2019 with Hector Neris, had 28 of, and the next guy had three. Uh, but that when that year kind of reminded me that was the year following, you know, Sir Anthony Dominguez had 16 saves and 18 comes into the, the 19 as a prohibitive favorite, loses the job rather quickly. And then Naris kept it the rest of the year. And so, and, you know, like I said earlier, I took McGee in, in, in our uh, AFL writers league because I needed, I needed saves. And I refuse to believe that Kapler is just going to take a guy to 31 saves and be like, you're just a, a leverage guy. Now go work in the seventh inning. Uh, and he's going to hand the ball over to a rookie that historically has had trouble throwing strikes. Well, before we move on to the AL West, we'll throw to a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now we are back on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by WinBet. Clay Link here with Todd Zola and Jason Collette making our way through the bold prediction series up at rotowire.com. Rotowire.com slash try to check out the free 10-day trial on us. No credit card required. We've only made it through one division through about a third of the show. So I'm going to try to just power through these uh, pretty quickly, Jason. Um, But I heard uh, on our show on XM, Jeff Erickson say this week that he just doesn't have Alex Bregman as like a, priority not like a must get uh, and i'm kind of feel the same way just not a priority right now in drafts but you like bregman to once again reach top 50 status i do he was hurt i mean it let's the wrist was a problem and it's tough to hit for power uh when you have uh, the problems that he was having i mean he had a giant knot on his wrist it just wasn't a good situation uh and so he had surgery like we talked about that's not having it bregman did have it uh, and so he had corrective surgery to get that resolved. Plus, then he had uh, the strained quad as well. So it affected his ability to, to run on base, uh, you know, steal bases. So he just really had a down year. Uh, but if, if you're a power hitter who doesn't have your strong wrist and doesn't have a strong base because you've got an injury, you're gonna it's going to be what happened to him last year. And so when I look at his price, I mean, he was uh, he's easily been a top 50 player the last couple of years coming into draft season. Now he's barely hanging in the top 100. I'd be all back in. And I know I'm not the only one. Paul Sporer talks about he really wants to get Bregman as well. Uh, but I'm not chasing him. But uh, you know, at the same time, if he's going to continue to fall as he is in some of these leagues, I, I would love to get another share of Bregman. He's a perfect share. He's a perfect fit for that ballpark. Uh, as long as he's playing with the Crawford boxes, he has his opportunities to hit with power. And he went, uh, he went the pick in front of me. I tell you, I was planning on taking him with the third pick of the seventh round, but he went uh, to the team in front of me. I forget who's picked. That's uh, Eric Carabell. So he went to Carabell in front of me. And I took Varsha with the next pick, but I was all set to take Bregman with a uh, pick that would have been 97. No, 90, I'm sorry, 92. I was all set to take him right there. Todd, where are you on Bregman? Out. I've been out. I'm going to stay out. Okay. And I, Jason alluded to it. He's staying in Minute Maid Park, so he will continue to hit for power. But it, he needs his exit velocity and fly balls is low, mm-hmm. and it, it, to me that's just, I 
I don't need the the what I don't I don't want to have to rely on Crawford boxes. I want a guy who can hit for power. But the if it, even if it comes back, he's not stealing the bases again. So to get to your lofty rank, Jason, he's gonna de- he's gonna need five steals. He's gonna need a handful of steals, I think, and I don't see them. Or he's gonna have to hit a bunch of homers. I mean, he's gonna have to excel well, in one of I'm, these areas. I'm, well, all right, he's. I think the power's coming back. I don't think he had forty-one in the happy ball year. It's no coincidence because he needed the extra boost helped him. So the power can come back. He can hit thirty homers, but I feel I still think he needs a few more steals. Can he hit 40? If he hits 40 homers, okay. So I, I agree the power comes back. Does it, you know, does it come back to 35 homers? Okay. He wins or, you know, those five extra steals. So, And the next piece, the, the next guy on the list, though, is Anthony Rendon. Another big question. Same position. Yeah. That basically on ADP, that's the next guy. And and so we have question marks with him as well. And, you know, third base is a very interesting position this year. Yeah, also, I, I'm on Rendon. The, the irony is I'm on Rendon. Yeah. But I'm trying to get a backup. You know, I talk. I think I, we talked to Clay about it. I want Luis Urias as my backup because he can then back up other places. Right. Uh, you don't pick Rendon in a vacuum. Your corner almost has to be a, a third baseman. Nice. By the way, Phil Maton, a deep league reliever that you spotlighted, Jason, that definitely should uh, keep an eye on. I, I think I had him in labor last year briefly but uh, i do like phil maton's skills and then with the angels you make a good point that michael lorenzen go reds i mean they already guaranteed a, a rotation spot for michael lorenzen probably a, a part of a six-man rotation wouldn't you say but uh this seems like a bet on yourself like rehab deal where michael lorenzen said you know they kind of switched my roles in cincinnati i'm a starting pitcher and i'm going to prove it yeah, and he wanted he wanted to uh, be a starter. Body has failed him a couple of times, which you know I've said elsewhere. It's it's unusual because he is in such good shape. Uh, you know, just a big dude really takes uh, care of himself. And so you worry. You know, I actually should, in theory, uh, ease some of the concerns. Like, can he make the transition from reliever to that? You know, one of the guys I always go back to is when C.J. Wilson, the first year he became a starting pitcher. Uh, you know, he went, he started training to become a starter the day after the previous season ended because the Rangers told him, you're moving to the rotation. And so he went from relieving 76 games to pitching 150 something innings the following season, if, if memory serves me correctly. Um, and so with, with Lorenzen, he has previously shown the stuff. And I put this in the article like, there are, there are times when the breaking stuff has been amazing. There's time when the changeup has worked and there's times when the cutter, but all of it in the same season has never worked out well together. And, but he hasn't, in, in all fairness, had the opportunity to do that. Uh, and so I am very intrigued with the, the fact that the Angels signed him and said, you're coming here to be a starting pitcher. Uh, and the fact that he is in that six, if they do a six-man rotation again, gives him a little bit more insulation uh, to take care of himself. Uh, but a, another guy who, again, is going in the reserves, nobody's really taking him in the starting. And I'm, I'm intrigued by what he's able to do. I took him in the 49th round. Uh, of one in one league. And I think I had to take him earlier here in our writer's league, uh, just because the starting pitching depth has been running away from us. Um, and I took him, uh, I took him in the 33rd round, 33.3 uh, there, but that's, you know, that's the way that league's running. Cause Jeff Zimmerman took all the pitching. Uh, and, uh, but I'm very intrigued with what uh, Lorenzo can do. He's a guy that so far I have in all three of the leagues I've completed. 
He's probably going to allow him to catch his own pop-ups, too. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame we're going to have a universal DH. He may hit. I mean, they got two of the best hitting pitchers on the same team. Yeah, I I had fun watching him, and he really did show flashes of, of being dominant on the mound. Of course, it was fun to see him in the field as well and hitting some homers, but I do think there's another level to come for him as a pitcher. Wasn't Clay, wasn't at one point he the, the top fielding center fielder? Yeah, on the he Reds? was the best center fielder for a while. That says, I don't, I mean, that's more of an indictment of the team than a plot. It's for the player. Yeah, but, but it speaks and, to how great of an athlete he is. <laughs> exactly. Now in Oakland, Jason, you like Matt Chapman to uh, be a top 10 third baseman. That may not be in Oakland, though. Um, and that and that bakes into the prediction too. Yeah. Uh, you know, between between Chapman and Olson, the mats may be somewhere else, maybe on somebody else's doorstep. Uh, but that's really the thing with him. He he was dealing with some injuries last year too. I know he's got a hole in his swing with velocity up. Uh, but really, what that created was uh, another hole in his swing on breaking stuff away too. And I put some of that else, uh, some of that in the article uh, with that. But you look at. Uh, put some of the other stuff in and talks about some of his in zone contact rate and where he, where he ranks with some guys uh, and his swing and miss rate is on par with guys like Albies and Swanson and Riley and Hanniger and Stanton. Like he's, he's in a good crowd, but the results were not there. Uh, and he's previously had the results and he was on an upward trend with everything. And then last year it kind of fell apart for him. Uh, and so I want to, you know, I, I when I looked at it, I, I doubt he's going to finish the season in Oakland. He could go somewhere else. Uh, and perhaps that, that change of environment where he's back into being uh, in a place that's has a realistic shot of playing in the postseason. Whereas it felt like all last year that Oakland was just getting ready to drop off and fade off and let's try to do something else. But you know, we're only two years removed from him having elite elite, uh, stat cast rankings in just about every offensive category. Uh, and now he's, you know, where he's being drafted. We mentioned earlier about the third base position, and now he's outside the top 200 by ADP. It's it's a prime target for me. Now, behind the curtain a little bit, I don't get to edit every single article for the site, but I have gotten to edit most of these. And I texted you after I posted this about the Brent Honeywell <laughs> prediction because I liked it. May forget about Honeywell, but he was a top prospect in the game before he got hurt. Uh, more injuries after that in Tampa Bay, but now he's kind of in a, a land of opportunity here. Most people seem to expect Lou Trevino to be gone, and maybe Honeywell could find his way into a combined 10 saves plus wins. Man, it would be awesome if he could do what we saw at the AFL. What was that, eight, 2018 uh, that yeah. we saw him pitch? Uh, you know, I don't know if after all the surgeries, if he's ever going to be the same guy with the, with the screwball and all of that stuff, he's now out of options. Uh, so he has the opportunity, but this isn't, you know, this same team last year, seven weeks into the season, Yusmero Petit had seven wins uh, in, in relief for this club because that's how they, they were using him uh, every single day. Maybe they bring him back as a free agent, but it wasn't that long ago that you know, he was out there and just picking up decisions. And so th this should be the land of opportunity, as you were saying. Well, with Honeywell, there's nothing that's nailed down. Well, there. you said I it, and then I copied you. Okay, well, I forget exactly, <laughs> but you know, there's been a lot of talk about AJ Puck possibly becoming a late inning reliever, which you know, it, it, given his injuries and everything, and that certainly would make a ton of sense. Uh, but for me, Honeywell is just freely sitting out there in, the, in these draft champion and uh, DC 50 formats where I want to give him a shot because it, the fact that he's out of options means he's going to hang around until his body 
or his production says he doesn't belong in the major leagues anymore. Uh, so it's a good opportunity for him. Todd? He, he was throwing the screwball because I, I just love I just love watching him pitch. It's just so fun. Mm-hmm. It's just so unique. We saw him at the AFL. Um, he was throwing it after the second procedure, but whether it's effective or it can continue to throw it or not, I don't know. But he still was – he didn't He didn't remove it from his arsenal, which is at least uh, encouraging. Yeah. Jason, I think you said – or you called Oakland and their bullpen the land of opportunity in a text, I think, and then I stole it from you before you had a chance <laughs> to say it on the show. But, no, that's exactly what it is. And they seem to be embracing a teardown, so – Maybe even more so the land of opportunity come uh, opening day. Now in Seattle, you know, you, you kind of like uh, Andrew Heaney, by the way, in L.A. is this year's Robbie Ray. But in Seattle, you don't like Robbie Ray in, in 2022. You, you're just kind of off given his track record. Yeah, I don't like this year's Robbie Ray. Uh, <laughs> because – and. Again, when everything, when you have the type of season he has, uh, there's only one way to go, and it's down. Uh, and I tweeted a comp out a couple of weeks ago saying that 2018 Blake Snell uh, and the 2000 is, is the 2021 Robbie Ray, what 2019 Blake Snell is the 2022 Robbie Ray. Um, you know, a lot of similarities with the with the leftiness, the big breaking ball, uh, the fastball, the problems, the overall problems with command and like in that Cy Young year for both guys, everything came together. And then as quickly as it all came together for Snell, it went away and nobody understood like, where did it go? Cause he same team, same pitching coach, all the conditions were there, but it just, he fell back into things. Uh, and with Robbie Ray, this, if, if it happens, it, that's where it could, that's where it could go wrong. But then you look at some of the guys, when I looked at like something as, sim- as simple as his left on base percentage, he had the highest of any starting 90, pitcher. 90.1, something 90.1. Like Nobody yeah. else has been that high. Justin Verlander was next at yeah. 88, and he got hurt the next year. And then Blake Snell in his magical year went from 88 to 72, and his ERA jumped two and a half runs. It's like so the, hist- the history of starting pitchers that stranded that many base runners is not great. Uh, but I just can't get the Blake Snell – the year after Cy Young effect out of uh, out of my head with Robbie Ray because the similarities really line up well with those two. Uh, also throwing in the hey, I just signed a big a big contract and I'm moving out to a new market. You know, our great uh, uh, Glenn Colt and Rick Wolf talk about that all the time as part of their process. Uh, there's a lot of conditions, uh, and that's one I just I cannot I cannot get on board with Robbie Ray. He is. Yeah, we talked about bets earlier. Bets is not dead to me. Robbie Ray, I want no part of. Uh, I'm so it's so tough because what? How did he get better? He got better by throwing the ball down the middle and letting his natural movement take care of things. Oh, and turning his. It, you see the interview where he's turning his fastball like the the uh, commissioner's yeah. signature is on one half of the horseshoe. I yeah, that, that was pretty cool. But yeah, there was that was and, and uh, there was uh, yeah no that was because of the easy of recognition and yep. changing it versus righties and lefties. Yeah, that was fascinating. This is the kind of stuff we we learn when there's nothing else to talk about going through Twitter. But my I mean, I, I think it was smart what he did. But is that a sustainable, you know, avenue to success? Right. You know, throw it down the throw it down the middle and hope it moves. You know, I mean, I I I, I, th- I like him better than I did coming into the season, but you have to regress the walk rate some and see where it lands. But um, the the prognosticator is 
on me is still you know a little high on him, but the drafter is going to pass. Moving on now to the central divisions, the NL Central. Uh, Clint Frazier now with the Cubs, and you like him, you know, bold call, but to maybe finish as a top 75 outfielder. I was uh, glad to land him in this draft. I, I probably sniped you, but I was uh, did. <laughs> I was glad that I got him before you did, Jason. So you I did. See, that's I, another land 2020 of was not that long ago, and he had a great 2020. Yeah. Well, it's another land of opportunity thing. You mentioned earlier about uh, the whole city of New York being uh, on Andrew Heaney. That would apply to Clint Frazier as well. Uh, you know, he and this came out after I wrote this, but the whole thing of the the con- the post concussion issues he said he was having with the neurological after he oh, ran man. into the wall, you know, that came out. So it's like to me, this is a change of scenery thing where, you know, a few years ago, everybody loved this guy. Everybody loved this guy. Uh, and now he's got an opportunity to reestablish himself uh, in the land of opportunity, which is the rebuilding Cubs. Uh, and so I absolutely would have taken him the round that, that you did. Uh, with that, because again, we sometimes the we God doesn't produce enough. Okay, we move on, but he's still young too. It's not like he's a, a thirty-year-old guy. Uh, so I really want to see w- what he can do. And, and again, this was the team last year that gave Frank Schwindel and Patrick Wisdom all the opportunity they wanted, and they both produced in, in uh, two different ways. Wisdom striking out an amazing amount, but doing his home runs, and then Schwindel replicating what he had done as a as a Triple A player. Uh, so I'm very intrigued to see what Frazier uh, can do with Chicago. Uh, and uh, I'm on board. Yeah, he was, again, it was a short season, but he was the Yankees a third best position player by, by WRC plus in 2020. And uh, yeah, I still think there's an opportunity there because he never really got turned loose. He's 27. It just seemed like they just were reluctant to ever really, you know, well, it was defense too. And I know he got yeah, a little defense. better defensively, but now with the DH, potentially, maybe he has a spot. Jason, did you make the call, the initial call, before or after? I'm just more curious. It doesn't matter. But did you yeah. make the call before the DH or after? Uh, I made the call assuming the DH was going to be there. I okay. have yeah. been an optimist. Not, I've been an optimist matter. saying yeah. it was all, it was always going to be there. But I've been saying this for a year and a half now, so I'm glad it's finally going to be here. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Well, yeah. Some people drafted Rowan Wick, but you like Cody Hoyer to lead the Cubs in yep. saves. I, I do, and Cody Hoyer is the reason why I, I I learned about this doing the research for this. But Cody Hoyer is the reason why Craig Kimbrell went to the White Sox and not Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay mm-hmm. really wanted him, and then the White the the White Sox were like, "Hey, we'll add Hoyer to the deal." Okay, uh, and so Hoyer's interesting because. It, his non fastballs are really, really good. Uh, the fastball was problematic, but they're the, the Cubs. As soon as he got to their organization, they were like, Hey, we need you to do this. Stop doing this, do this. And so there was an adjustment period uh, with him. Uh, and you could see where he wasn't trying to throw it as hard, but they wanted him to use his sinker as a sinker. Uh, and so and I try to get some more up down to, uh, to the way he was throwing his pitches uh, because it was, it was really weird how he was using his fastball with the White Sox, but he's like one of these guys to me is like one skill away uh, where he could take a, if, if this fastball rework sticks, then all of a sudden he's got three really good pitches um, and you go watch some video of him. Uh, it's, it's workable. You could see this playing out in a very high leverage closer role. And so Wick, it's like, eh, uh, if you're looking at the, at the way the closer market is so unsettled, this is one of these things where, I would love to get more shares of Hoyer than I currently have. I keep 
thinking, oh, I'll be able to get him next round. And then somebody grabs him. Uh, and it, it annoys me because somebody grabbed him. And I, I have him in one league, but, you know, he went right in front of you, Clay. Uh, whoever's team 12 um, took him in the 29th round. He doesn't yeah. give up homers, does he? He just yeah. Erickson. He just he just doesn't give up home runs, Hoyer. Yeah, he's just yeah. pretty darn pretty darn exciting arm, and definitely not a guy to forget in your drafts. Now, when I was talking with James on the prospect pot on Wednesday, I told him about the four Brewers I had drafted uh, in this league: Willie Adamas, Luis Urias, Aaron Ashby, and then Eric Lauer as well. So I said, "Hey, go Brewers!" I guess. I guess I'm on the Brewers train and you kind of between your outlooks for the site and then this article and you just beating this drum about road Willie versus home Willie during his days with Tampa Bay. You've really sold me over the past year or so on Willie Adamas. He was, I mean, for people that don't know, he hated hitting in Tropicana field and he was outspoken about it. Uh, they, they made, they changed the lights in 2019 uh, and it just, it never worked for him. Uh, and some people said, oh, maybe in his head, but the results speak for themselves. He hit 192 at home and 306 everywhere else. Uh, and that's not the quality. Sometimes you look at home road splits, it's like who are they facing? This, you know, he just did not enjoy hitting. So as soon as the trade happened last year in May, uh, I was telling everybody, go pick up Road Willie. Uh, yeah, in one of my home leagues, like if you if you spend over $25 in Fab, you have to keep the guy the next year. I I was co-owning a team. I told the guys, like, spend the 25 bucks. This is absolutely gonna be worth it. Uh, and so like, we have to keep, we've got to keep him at, uh, and at 25 this year, but it's worth it. So he has been able to hit, um, everywhere else, but Tropicana field. Uh, and so now he gets to stay, hopefully he can stay healthy. Cause he was, I mean, honestly, he was having an MVP caliber season until he got hurt there down the stretch. Once he made his way over to the national league. Uh, and so he gets to go back there. He's got the rebuilding Cubs staff. He's got the, the pirates. He gets to face a lot of your reds. I mean, there's an opportunity for him to do some more damage over the full season here. Um, and shortstop's a deep position. So it sounds like, eh, this guy was really good saying he's top 10 is not that bold, but shortstop's got a lot of depth to it. So for him to take this leap, um, he's going to have to put in some work at the plate uh, to make it happen. Yeah, that position is stacked. But really, when he came over to Milwaukee, he was like an MVP caliber player. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of that you know, defensively was great too, but he just – took off at the plate. So I'm not happy for the guy. I'd really wish he, you know, he, his trade obviously facilitated Franco coming up, but yeah. uh, it's just, it was really, it was frustrating to watch Adamas try to hit a home because he just couldn't do it. I mean, there was, he'd be in between pitches. You'd see him take it. Like, what are you, what are you taking that for? But just his pitch recognition home just didn't work. Now between Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, do you have any long shots that you like as uh you know, flyers and drafts? Uh, so on Pittsburgh, I've taken Miguel Yahuri, uh, in two leagues so far. I liked what I saw from Yahuri, uh, as a minor leaguer, as it, when he initially came up with the, uh, with the Yankees, then he got hurt with Pittsburgh, but the stuff he's got really good breaking stuff. I'm intrigued enough to take a dart on him in late leagues. Uh, I'm giving Anthony Alford one more chance with his athleticism because he, you know, he came up as a football player. Uh, and, but we, you know, we saw him in the AFL, we could see what the athleticism does and Pittsburgh definitely is a land of opportunity. Want to see how that goes. Uh, honestly, Cincinnati was tough because there wasn't a lot to try to predict. I, I looked at Jose Barrero. I talked about the depth at shortstop, but looking for him because he's been really good in the minors, but he's been completely, uh, impatient at the major league level, swinging at everything. Got to, you know, got to chill out. Uh, and then, uh, Luis Sessa, I mentioned Yusmero Petit earlier. 
that's kind of how I envision Luis Sessa performing for Cincinnati. I mean, they've got the 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 quantity of arms in the back, you know, they've got Lucas Sims, they've got Art Warren. Uh, but it's like for me, I, I see Sess as that guy coming in and, and vulturing some wins, maybe getting a save here or there. Uh, but if he's got the opportunity, he's not a single ending guy. He can work the multiple innings. And that's where Petit had his value too. That kept him in for some of those wins. So Sess is a guy that I've been looking at in NL only uh, or the draft and hold type of leagues looking for uh, some decisions in that realm. Yeah, I've been critical of the Reds and their moves, but I thought the move to get Sessa was a great call. I could definitely see him being a valuable, maybe not like a swing man exactly, but filling multiple roles as needed. Before we move on to the AL Central, uh, bring you a few quick words from our sponsors. Hope you'll uh, bear with me here, and then we will wrap things up with Jason. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for RotoWire's Fantasy Podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette. Double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in nine states, Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. Register for WinBet today. Make a qualifying deposit and wager to receive $200 in free bets. Promotion may vary by state. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcasts. And also experience a new way to play daily fantasy sports on Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is an exciting player prop fantasy contest. With Thrive Fantasy, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Sign up for Thrive Fantasy today and receive a free six-month RotoWire subscription. Here's how you can claim that free RotoWire sub. Visit rotowire.com slash thrive, deposit a minimum of $10, and receive a 100% deposit bonus up to 100 bucks. Then finally, play in your first paid contest and receive a free six-month Rotowire subscription. So, Jason, I don't think we're going to get through all six divisions here, but as we move on to our fourth one, the AL Central, uh, mm-hmm. I've seen Dylan Cease get a lot of helium, and you're kind of driving that train. You see him as a uh, top 15 pitcher potentially. So, what exactly do you like and see being the key to unlock the next level with Dylan Cease? So I guess I'm like the anti-Nick Pollock because Nick Pollock's been the anchor dragging him down. Uh, and I what it what it for what I like out of Cease is the ability to separate the fantasy pitcher from the real pitcher. Uh, and the the fantasy side of things, he plays for a team that should provide him with plenty of run support if everybody stays healthy. So you have that particular option. You've got a really good bullpen behind him. Uh, you know his ability to collect strikeouts, and so that's where I'd like for him to like last year we saw these kinds of things with Julio Urias, but every year there's a pitcher that has the right conditions that takes that big step forward. Help Steven Matz had that last year. He had the best run support in the American league uh, and he was able to get some strikeouts and was able to get a bunch of wins uh, from that. And so that's really why I like cease is just all those conditions as ability to take strikeout, uh, get strikeouts as well. And if he can find some more consistent command, he could take another leap forward from that. Uh, and so, like, I hear Nick's arguments about that his command's inconsistent, and I agree with that. 
But you know, all the other things are in place, and he's like that one skill away. And even last year, he was really good. And, and it, to consider where he was last year, I bought him for four dollars in AL in AL Tal. That was and he ended up being my ace last year. Nobody liked him. He took this big step forward, but I believe there's even more growth there for him. When he comes up in drafts, I never really that close because I do have it in my head that when he came up, the command was so wildly inconsistent, but. I mean, the whiff rates that you mentioned here, three offerings with a 40% whiff rate. Oh, man, he could be he could be pretty good. I mean, he was a top prospect despite those command issues when he came up. So mm -hmm. if you could just take another step forward in that regard, he really could uh, be nasty. And then Eloy Jimenez is a top 30 player. Uh, I could totally see that. Anything you want to add about Eloy? He just got to – he has to mash. Uh, get, you know, as we were talking about Bregman, he's not going to run, so he has to mash – uh, to make this happen. But when you look at the lineup he's going to be in, if everybody's healthy and he's going to hit high in that lineup and, and in that ballpark, he has the opportunity to to do this uh, if he can play to his potential. And you know, I, I saw him here in Charlotte. Um, the good news is the White Sox have a lot of farm systems in North Carolina, so I'm able to see him. And he, he just laid waste on his way up to Chicago. Then he got hurt doing that stupid stuff on the fly ball. So uh, let's get him back in the lineup and, and breaking to his potential. Yeah, don't just don't do any hanging like Vince Carter That's exactly like, what elbow <laughs> hang dunks from the outfield fence. Before we get your thoughts on him, uh, Jason, I, I want to run Tristan McKenzie by Todd. Todd, do you have any strong feelings about Tristan McKenzie, the guardians one way or another, or not really? No. <laughs> okay. Don't. No, um, I, no, I, I like, I like, I, I like, I'm going to make sure my, my mic's still on here. Um, had it down, there was noise going on, didn't want the interference. I like McKenzie. I have the same concerns that everybody does about the uh, the slight of build in the in the control. Cleveland, the Guardians, you gotta they're doing good things with their pitchers. McKenzie was a different pitcher when he came up after the minor leagues. So they're they're also doing it in the minor league level. It's just we talked about it with Snell, we talked about it with Ray. Can he maintain a gain that he showed for a month? So it's a you don't have to invest nearly as much, obviously, on McKenzie that you do on a Snell or a Ray to find out. But I definitely think it's worth finding out. The Cleveland has earned our trust, I believe, to uh, to find out. And Jason, you you like him quite a bit and you kind of laid out some uh, qualifications that kind of put him in some pretty exclusive company last year, McKenzie. Yeah, I mentioned it earlier when we were talking about Darvish, about what Gilbert uh, and, and and Nola, McKenzie, and Darvish as those four guys. But with with McKenzie and you know, as Todd said, you know, Cleveland and Milwaukee are two places that are just doing magic with pitching. Uh, with with McKenzie, it, it just comes down to him staying ahead of batters, and that, and this is you know, young pitchers are like this. They fall behind. They go back to their fastball, and, and McKenzie's got a good fastball. But when the league knows it's coming. They're going to hit it out, and they hit uh, 16 of the 21 home runs he allowed. Came off his fastball because his breaking stuff. The league had a collective buck 23 off it. You know they and he's got 40 40 plus percent whiff rate on both of his breaking balls. But when he falls behind and counts because his command is so inconsistent, he just goes back to fastball, back to fastball, and the league starts hunting for it. And he's he's in that one skill away group where if he can get better fastball command and get ahead in the account because the numbers lay it out. When the batters are ahead, they hit 264 off them and, and slug 519 
when he's ahead, they hit a buck 30 and they slug 243 off him. Get ahead. Get to the high ground first. Uh, and, and then you can uh, do what you want with Anakin uh, there. So that's what he's got to do. He's just got to get ahead uh, and, and leverage his breaking stuff because he makes that he makes those breaking uh, pitches look like strikes as long as possible. And hitters have a very tough time of laying off it when they're down in the count. When they're up in the count, you know, they're hunting fastball because that's what he's throwing. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned it in your Scrap Heap article, too, which, by the way, if you're listening, you can go back and check that out, archived on the site. Uh, but the uh, ERA for McKenzie was the highest among all pitchers last season with at least 100 innings, at least a 25% strikeout rate, less than a 250 opponent's average, and a 120 whip or lower. So it seemed like things were uh, you know, working against him a little bit, and he was a bit unlucky. I do see him pitch, and I'm like, man, I wish I could just – trade him 50 pounds just give him <laughs> a cool 50 off the top because uh, he's so skinny I'll, and i worry about i'll say you're 50 and raise you 25 more <laughs> yeah, can, can we just send him in the mail a good 75 pounds but no he just it looks like he could use a little bit more uh bulk on that body to hold up long term that's just the most obvious thing yeah. about two eyes that i see with mckenzie that kind of scares me um erod over in Detroit, you like him as a top 100 guy leaving Boston? I do like him out of Fenway. Yeah, I do like him out of Fenway. Uh, I know we talked earlier about the big contract, new places type of thing, uh, but I really do love him out of Fenway and putting him in, in Comerica with the uh, with the friendlier environment there. Uh, you know, he he had probably one of the uh, more notable uh, COVID recovery cases in Major League Baseball, where it really took a uh, took a beating on him and it took him a while to recover from it. Uh, but yeah, as he got into, got found his groove later on last year, you know, I really liked what I saw from him. You know, historically, the one thing you got to worry about is that knee. He's always had uh, some problem with his knee uh, there, but I just like getting him out of Fenway and his ability to, I like how he pitches because he's not trying to blow it by everybody and overpower people. I mean, he will add and subtract off his pitches, move them in, move them out. I, I really do enjoy his approach to pitching, uh, and I really want to see how it's going to play out well in Detroit. But he is a guy that uh, has been on my uh, really, really want list. You're right about that knee, although I think it was his plant leg. But I feel like since he had surgery a few years ago, it hasn't been nearly as big of a, an issue. So. Yeah, the, he's creating distance anyway from those past knee issues. And it did seem like uh, Alex Cora always kind of like had him under his thumb a little bit. Like he was kind of holding him down a little bit. Oh, well, there were the some opposite. other times they'd leave him out there too long. No, it was the opposite. It, it, Clay, it was, uh, he would, it, it was tough love. He would, tough you know, love. Okay. I would, I would be lifting you. I would lift anybody else after five and two thirds, but you're pitching you me six. I don't care what happens. And it, it, I think it helped him. And I think, <laughs> I think it helped him. Okay. And yeah, I knee, remember there was some the surgery. Kind of talk the the knee that. should be over. I mean, he should be fine with that. Yeah. Now, um, on to Kansas City here. This was kind of the other one with, you know, among the, uh, the cream of the crop and the player pool that kind of shook me a little bit. Whit Merrifield, not a top 60 player. I haven't really been on him in past years, but he's he's been pretty darn good. But you see maybe the uh, downward slope beginning or maybe it's already begun. Well, and, there, and it's not a really a performance thing. It's just that he he has uh, produced an incredible amount just by the volume of playing time that he's put out there. He's never he's never missed. He's never spent a day on the injury list in baseball. 
that eventually has to catch up with somebody. You just can't, unless I mean, even Cal Ripken should have gone on the injury list a few times during his streak, but nobody's ever done that. Uh, and just the volume of playing time that he's done, and I, I laid it out because Merrifield turns 33 this year, and I looked through the players that say, okay, if you're a 33-year-old, how many times have you mm-hmm. been able to, to do that? And repeating back-to-back seasons, repeating that level – doesn't happen that often. Uh, I think when I looked at it, Orlando Cabrera was one of the names. Um, there just wasn't only 15 players in the past 25 years have had 700 plate appearances at that age. And the last time we saw that was Joey Votto in 2017. So nobody in 18, nobody in 19, nobody in 2021 at that age had more than 700 plate appearances. So that's where I'm trying to get back to every year. We look at a guy that went in the first three rounds that failed to meet expectations the conditions based on these types of things are there for Merrifield to be one of those guys. He could also come back out and do another 720 plate appearances and say, I'm Wolverine. This is what I do. I just regenerate and I don't get, I don't need to go on the injured list. But to me, it's like, he's been able to outrun, uh, you know, keep keep himself distanced from the the same trouble that hits everybody else. Uh, And I just could, if he gets hurt this year, it'd be like, it's, it's just the odds catching up with him. Uh, and if he gets hurt, as a guy whose game is primarily built on his ability to run the bases, uh, and and because he doesn't make a lot of, he sprays the ball all over the place. Uh, you know, he doesn't make a lot of hard contact anymore these days. But he's his game's built on speed, and if he has a lower half injury, it could significantly impact his value. Yeah, good uh, good word of warning on Whit Merrifield if you're considering taking him with an early pick. Uh, when we had Jeff Zimmerman on the show on MLB Network Radio a few weeks ago, uh, we talked to him about pitchers who split their time between starting and relieving last year, and there weren't many that he was really on. I feel like I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I feel like he was not really optimistic about Carlos Hernandez of Kansas City. But you actually think he has a chance to uh, be mixed league relevant? Yeah, he's a he's a tough guy to. Uh... To figure out honestly, because he had some, he was rather dominant with his strikeout rate as a starter, as a reliever, rather, wasn't so much as a starter. So the numbers kind of uh, are a little different. You look at the strikeout minus walk rate as a, as a starter, it wasn't great. But this comes back to one of those things where I watched him pitch a few times lately because I had picked him up in two leagues and watched him pitch. So I, I was tuned into his games and uh, like, what I saw was better than what these numbers put out. Uh, and so and one of the things that really played out is when I looked at the StatCast profile, you know, the pitchers that come up as, as, as similars with velocity and movement are Drew Rasmussen, Oscar Anoa, and Brandon Woodruff. And I like all three of those guys. And I ha- honestly have the same, I have the same problem trying to, con- trying to label Drew Rasmussen as well, uh, because I see a guy that's like, Hey, I'm throwing two pitches. Um, but what I love about Rasmussen is how he just attacks the strike zone and forces the forces batters to swing because then they get down on the count and it gets what we were talking about with McKenzie earlier on. So, you know, for me, Hernandez at his price, again, he's outside the top 480p. I'm willing to take a chance on the stuff to see what's going to happen as, as a next step. But when you're, when your velocity and movement are coming up with three other guys that I really like, I'm going to take a chance. I'm not going to fade that just because his strikeout minus walk rate was a, was a single digit number as a starting pitcher. I'll, I'll give it another chance. If it stinks at that price, I'll move on. Absolutely. Todd, did you have something you were going to add or did I? No, that? no, that was, I was, it was thinking more. It's, this is a discussion, a completely different discussion for another day, but I've been thinking about, you know, these two pitch pitchers and when you can locate 
the pitches, I mean, the, the, it's the same pitch, but if you can throw it high and you can throw it low, it's two different pitches. Yeah. So I, that's when I, when I see this a starter with two pitches, I kind of, I like to dig deeper and see where they're locating because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a different pitch at a different eye level. So uh, some of these guys, some, some guys just throw it down the middle and see what happens. But some of these uh, effective starters, if they have excellent pinpoint location, yeah, it's two pitches, but it has the effect of more. Oh, and in theory, really well, Hernandez actually has a handful of pitches. Uh, but as Jeff Zimmerman tweeted out earlier, he had like this whole d- decision craft. Do you throw four pitches? Yes or no? Oh, yeah. Yes. Are you you Darvish? Yes. Okay, continue. If not, stop throwing your crappy pitches. So <laughs> yeah. maybe it gets to a point where Hernandez is like, okay, focus on these. But he does have five pitches, and he will throw them all. Uh, but – Again, you Darvish is one of the guys that could all throw five quality, but that's really the tough part. But that's why I want to take another chance uh, with Hernandez to give him a full chance because he's got the velocity. He does have a, uh, a diverse array of pitching, and if he can get three of them to work really well, but he's got five that he can use every now and then, uh, I, I'm, I'm intrigued, and I want to see what Kansas City can get out of him as a full year as a starting pitcher. Well, we'll wrap up today's conversation with Minnesota, meaning we won't get to the uh, final two articles, but – of course, you can check those out for yourself on the site. Again, rotowire.com slash try for 10 days on up. And, uh, <laughs> no, that was my phone. It's all good. Nice. I, well, sorry. No, keep going. Okay. Well, I do want to thank you, Todd, for bearing with us. I know you're not feeling the grace today, but yeah, thank you for making the show. And thank you, Jason, for taking time. Minnesota, Luis Arise is a top 20 second baseman. Doesn't have that kind of category juice to uh, paraphrase Scott Pianowski, or I guess just quote Scott Pianowski because he made up. Just say it, plagiarize. Plagiarize. That's a good one. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think he, at least I believe he made up the term. Category juice. But what he lacks there, he makes up for with bat to ball, right, Jason? Uh, That's right. And when you look at. I put him down as a top 22nd baseman because on paper, as we're looking at the depth charts today, he's projected to hit leadoff in front of that Minnesota lineup that has uh, some nice offensive potential in the top half of it. So he's uh, set up to hit leadoff. He doesn't steal bases, but he does get on base because he can put himself on base. He knows how to walk, but he can hit the ball to all fields. uh, And he's got 313 career batting average. So he can get himself on base and it does that. And he's got enough. He's got enough speed where he can score from first on the double type of thing. Uh, he just doesn't want to steal bases. Uh, and why should he with the, what they've got behind him? But he he's got a career three seventy four on base percentage, so the opportunities should be there. And if you're if you're trying to build your roster out and you take chances on certain players, uh, like I've taken a chance on Joey Gallo, uh, I believe in our AFL Writers League. I also drafted Arias because you you have to be able to. If you're gonna if you're gonna target a guy like Arias and his lack of power, then you have to be able to make up for it elsewhere. And I believe in this league, I have maybe it's I have Gallo and Stanton. I forget exactly, but one of the leagues I have, uh, it's like if you're doing that, you got to take a, a Arias or take a chance on Michael Brantley, who's got the highest batting average over the last four years of any player. Uh, you know, if, it really comes down to if you want this guy late, you got to plan for him kind of early. And everybody else in your league probably gets a good feel for that. Like, oh, you you, you took Gallo, or you're taking you're taking Gallo and Dahlbeck, or Dahlbeck and Sanchez. 
you're gonna have to then they know that you're gonna be taking this guy. So in a draft, you you may have to take him around earlier than you want. In an auction, you you may have to pay for him uh, the, to do that because it's rather obvious how you're putting your uh, the team together unless you're just gonna punt average uh, like in an auction case in NFBC where you gotta do the balance. You're kind of you're more forced into that issue. Uh, but if you're in a home league or something and you decide I'm just going to punt average, then you don't have to worry about that. But I love the opportunity for Arias to um, far exceed his projections, because if he can stay at the top of that lineup and get on base as, as he has historically, he has the opportunity of putting up a lot of runs this year. Yeah, he he puts a power strain on your roster. But if you have the right roster construction, yeah, Luis Arias could be a, a great fit. And then finally, I like this deep pull to lead the twins in saves your bold prediction on the pitching side for them is that jorge alcala leads the team in saves he's got your endorsement he's got ryan roof's endorsement and you guys are uh making jorge alcala one of my kind of uh priority end game targets it was and what i really liked about him and, and shocker he developed new pitches last year and he did it, he did it in season that was the crazy thing it, like he he came to camp saying i'm gonna work on a changeup. But then he he actually uh, shelved it. Then he brought it back, and then he started throwing the sinker. So all of a sudden, he's got four pitches, uh, and his overall numbers look like crap because he gave up nine home runs in the first half of the season. And then he allowed one the rest of the way, and so he became tougher to hit, tougher to square up because he's throwing four pitches. Um, and, and this is no, you know, this isn't any uh, kind of uh, disrespect to Taylor Rogers, but you know they were there were trade rumors with him last year that they were con- considering trading him. Uh, and so what's to say they don't consider trading him this year uh, the, on to that point and trying to maximize the value of closer because he's not a, he's not a kid. Uh, and so maybe they take advantage of that and there's the opportunity for him to do so. But then just a couple of years ago, Roger saves 30 and then he wasn't the primary closer the next year. He had he had a couple of bumps and he wasn't the primary guy then. So if I'm a Rogers guy and I can get Alcala in the reserves, I want to do that. Or if I if I'm light on saves, I like I took Alcala in our AFL Writers League because you know Lou Trevino is on paper my third closer. So I need to look for other options. And Alcala is one of the guys I have been targeting. I have them in all three leagues that I've completed uh, thus far. Uh, at least thought, gone through 25 rounds. I have him in all three of the leagues because I really like the skills um, and his potential uh, to do some, uh, to be rather effective in the back of that Minnesota bullpen in either role. I want him to get the saves <laughs> based on how I'm putting together the roster, but he's got really good stuff. Yeah. I, uh, I like that call because as you pointed out, you know, Rogers finished third on the twins and saves last year behind righties, Colome and Hansel Robles. Not too like you know stellar arms by any means, and I think there is a, a pretty big trade market for Taylor Rogers. I think uh, one of the teams closer to competing in the AL would love to have that lefty at the back end, and that could create an opportunity for Alcala. Really good stuff, Jason. Thanks again. Anything else on your mind today? Anything else you want to share uh, with the listeners? Uh, no, nothing else. I need to, uh, you know, reach out if you want any specific article topics. Now that I'm out of the bold prediction series, I, I want to get into some more specific stuff. I think uh, this weekend, after after a conversation with with Ryan, I wanted to talk because he, you know, he had his closer piece up and you know, he had said something about Corey Knebel, and I said, you know, I, I view Corey Knebel as this year's Rasiel Iglesias. Uh, last year, Iglesias was being faded on the market. I picked up Iglesias in multiple places. He had a great year, and he has a lot of similar profile flaws that 
Knable has coming into this year. And, and, and that reflects in Knable's market value right now. But uh, I believe that Knable has uh, an opportunity to take that step forward. We look back and like, wow, where did this come from? Uh, the conditions are there as long as Knable's body doesn't fail him. So I, I believe that's going to be my article topic this weekend is to flesh out that conversation that Ryan and I were having uh, on Twitter uh, about it because, you know, the closer market after the first five or six, it's like, <laughs> take your chances. Uh, and those prices aren't really settling down. They're only getting worse. And the only thing that's going to fix it is the lockout ending and teams making some acquisitions. Yeah, I'm hoping, I mean, the pie in the sky, but maybe this time next week when we're talking, Todd, We'll be closer to an agreement. Uh, but anything else on your mind that you want to add, Todd? And I'll be a week closer to my root canal. Yeah, um, I did a I did a, a, a podcast this week for Fantasy Six Pack. If you go to uh, Twitter on Fantasy Six Pack, it'll be there. Uh, it's on my account. It's a fun uh, fun time. Joe Bond talking uh, talking some NFBC, talking some first base and catcher. So if you um, if you didn't hear enough of me today, which you probably didn't. Then, uh, yeah, we talked for an hour about uh, it, by design. It's all good. Uh, yeah, I talked to Joe and uh, for on fantasy6pack.com. Awesome. Well, great stuff today, guys. Really appreciate it and really appreciate you all joining us. Hope you'll do so again next Friday here on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast, sponsored by WinBet. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.